You're listening to the Up in Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upinfrisco.com. <sighs> well, again, happy Resurrection Day and happy third anniversary of Upper Room Frisco. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <clears throat> So exciting. Yeah, three years ago on Easter, we started going Sunday after Sunday, coming into this place and ministering to God's heart through worship and prayer and seeing his presence transform everything around us and in us and through us. And it's been fantastic to worship with you guys and walk with you guys and to have meals with y'all. It's just, it's been such a blessing for our family to be part of this vibrant family of God. And so happy anniversary to all of us. And um, I'm just excited, y'all. Jesus is alive. This is, the, this is the best news ever. This is the one thing that all of our faith hinges upon. It's the resurrection of the dead. It's just, it's the good news See, all of our faith rests on this one thing because Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. That's what it says in 1 John 3, 8. He came to destroy the works of Satan. And the worst work of Satan is death. Hebrews 2, 14 puts it like this. That Jesus made himself just like us in every way so that he could Take the power from the one who holds the power of death and deliver us from our bondage to Satan through our fear of death. In other words, Satan had us enslaved to him because we feared death. And Jesus broke that fear because he came back from the grave. See, Jesus was made like us in every way and became obedient to death, but it was all a ruse because he had no intentions of staying down in that grave. If Jesus stayed in the grave, we would still fear death and be under Satan's power. If he stayed in the grave, then we wouldn't have faith for our own eternal life but he didn't stay in the grave. He couldn't stay in the grave because love is stronger than death and God is love. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says that if the rulers of this age knew what they were doing, they never would have put love in the grave because they created the most epic pipe bomb in all of history. When you put burning love inside the tomb, it blows open and the gates of Sheol were knocked down forever. They never would have crucified the Lord of glory because in so doing, they let the cat out of the bag and that cat is the Lion of Judah. 
See, Jesus made us alive when we were dead in our sins. He canceled our debts, nailing them to the cross. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, embarrassing them, triumphing over them by the cross. In southern terms, in southern terms, that means that he took his enemies, stripped them butt naked, and paraded them through the heavens. He took all the principalities and all the powers and took their power from them and paraded them through the heavens so that we would all know we never have to bow down to death again. And when we were still trying to climb our way into the holy place to be near him, by one sacrifice, he turned us into the holy place so that he could get in us. No matter how close we tried to get to him, he one-upped it. He one-million-upped it and got closer to us than we could have ever imagined. And now when we turn within ourselves, we realize that we have a front-row seat to the Lord of glory. When Jesus came back from the grave, he did a lot of awesome things. First, he left the tomb, and then he went and appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then he popped on over to the road to Emmaus, where two of his disciples were walking along. It's an incredible story, but he was able to hide himself so they didn't recognize him, but he, on the road to Emmaus, walked with these guys and basically unveiled himself through all of Scripture. And when they got to uh, evening time, they begged Jesus to stay with them. And there's this cool scene, right, when Jesus begins to break the bread and give thanks for it. And then the eyes of their heart were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanishes. And they turn to each other and say, that was him. You know how we know it's him? Because our hearts were burning within us while he spoke the way that they were able to verify the identity of the risen Lord is that their hearts burned when they heard the sound of his voice. And it's the same today. And then he appeared to the apostles, minus Thomas. Thomas wasn't there, so Thomas had an opportunity to doubt. But then he appeared to all the disciples again, and Thomas was there. And Jesus, being so kind, And desiring to even put Thomas's doubting heart back together, said, Thomas, put your hand in the wounds. And then Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. And then he appeared to uh, seven seven of his disciples on the shores of Galilee. And this is when they were fishing all night and caught nothing. And Jesus, you know, calls out to him after they're exhausted from fishing. He's like, have you tried putting your net on the other side of the boat? (laughs) And they go ahead and they do it. And they catch 153 large fish. And it was that abundant catch that caused Peter to recognize that is my Jesus. And he ties his garment around his waist, jumps in the water and swims to shore. And they eat fish on the beach, which is great news because we get to eat in our resurrected bodies, amen? 
with resurrected taste buds. It's going to be amazing. And he restores Peter's heart. Because even though Jesus is reconciling all the world back into friendship with God, he cares about every single one of his friends. And then he appeared to the apostles on the mountain in Galilee. And he gave them the great commission and said, now you get to go into all the world with this great news. Love them like I've loved you. Go and make disciples. And we find out that he also appears to over 500 brethren and sistren. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul tells us that Jesus was seen by Peter and then the 12 and then over 500 brethren all at once. See, Jesus wasn't keeping his resurrection a secret. He was making sure that tons of people saw him. And then he appeared to the apostles and ate a meal with them. And it was at this meal where he opened their minds to understand the scriptures about him. He told them at this meal that after he left, he would send them the Holy Spirit and they should stay in Jerusalem in the upper room and wait until they were filled with power to become witnesses. Our namesake, the upper room. And then there's his ascension, right? He's, he's standing on the mountain, the, the, the resurrected best friend of the, of the disciples whom they've touched, they've handled, they've eaten with. They know that he's not a ghost. He has flesh and bone. And they're standing here with him, at, just like I'm standing with you. And they watch him begin to levitate and ascend and ascend higher and higher. And they're dumbfounded, staring up into the clouds as he disappears out of their sight. And then what happens? As they're standing looking into the clouds, a couple angels sneak up on them, right? And they're like, what are y'all looking at? Why are you gazing intently into the sky? He's going to return the same way that he left. Ha. See, Jesus, even though he's the king of the universe, sent on the greatest mission in all of history to regain the heart of humanity and reconcile it to the heart of God, he cared about every single one of his friends. He came to put hearts back together. He came to give vision to his brothers and sisters. He came to empower his friends. And one of his dear friends, who's the, the first person that he appeared to, was Mary Magdalene. Do you guys know what the name Mary means? means bitter. We know that because when the Israelites escaped Egypt, they marched through the desert for a few days without water, and they came to water. But it was the waters of Mara. And when they tasted the waters, they realized that they were bitter. And so bitterness comes from the root word Mara, these bitter waters. And the Lord showed Moses a stick and when Moses threw 
that log, that stick onto the bitter waters, it was made sweet, just like the cross, that stick, when it's thrown on the bitter waters of the heart of humanity, we're made sweet in his presence. There's another town with the root word Mara as its name, and it's Moriah. And this particular town means meant the Lord's bitterness. And this place was where Abram went to sacrifice his son to Isaac. And if you guys can follow along with me for a minute, think of it like this. Abraham went to where he believed it was the Lord's bitterness. And as he was about to kill his own son in the name of the Lord's bitterness, the Lord said, stop, don't do this. And Abram sees a ram with his horn stuck in a thicket. And we know that that ram was actually stuck in a thorn bush because when Abram wanted to go and sacrifice his son because of the Lord's bitterness, the Lord provided a sacrifice for him. And Moriah, that town, its name was changed to Jehovah Jireh. Do you guys know what that means? God provides. Here's a simple yes or no question. Has God ever been bitter? <laughs> no. Far be it from us to attribute something to God that we wouldn't attribute to any man. And Jesus comes along, and he's born to who? Mary. He's born in a very, symbolically, he's born through humanity's bitterness. He's born into humanity's bitterness. How many of you guys have four friends that you hang out with regularly that have the same name? It's weird, right? Jesus had Mary, his mother, Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas, Mary of Bethany, and Mary Magdalene. He was around him like every day. Mary, 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 Mary. Just bitterness all around him. And Mary Magdalene, one of his closest friends, the, the one whom he appeared to first after his resurrection, her last name is no better. Magdala means isolated, bitter dungeon tower. <laughs> what were her parents thinking, right? Like when you have a child, you want to name him like a, or her a prophetically awesome name, right? So you can put it on a cross stitch and hang it over the bed. You don't want bitter, isolated dungeon tower hanging over your child's bed in a cross stitch. I'm saying this because I believe that her name actually has a lot of meaning. This is Mary Magdalene, out of whom had gone seven demons. Anybody in here think they're disqualified from being the Lord's best friend? More than seven demons, anybody? <laughs> <laughs> she, 
she was a hot mess, right? <laughs> All sorts of problems in her life, seven demons. And this becomes, she becomes one of God incarnate's best friends. Jesus finds her, delivers her from all of that bitterness, pulls her out of her old life and says, you can have community with me. Invites her in to his inner circle and she becomes buddies with God himself. And she's by him every day of her life until the worst day of her life, right? When she's standing at the foot of that cross or kneeling at the cross or crumpled on the ground near that cross watching the life of her Lord and her best friend slip away from him, watching his physical body cease to function and I'm sure she's feeling in her soul her own life slipping away as she watches. And she's probably wondering if she's gonna have to go back to that life of bitterness if she's gonna to have to go back to that life of isolation, that demonized existence that she had before this beautiful man came into her life. You better believe that Mary was fighting off bitterness when they killed Jesus. But we all know that that's not the end of the story. Can you guys open up to Matthew 28? Jesus. It's Matthew 28, 1. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. What a cool angel. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. That's the Bible trying to describe adrenaline, right? <laughs> afraid, yet filled with joy. Imagine how pumped they were as they were running through the woods or whatever, you know? Woo! And they ran to tell his disciples. <coughs> this is an incredible encounter with an angel, and they've been commissioned with knowledge about the resurrection to, co to go and tell the disciples, and you would think that would be enough, right? Like, you just had an encounter with a talking angel. 
to go and tell people that Jesus is alive, that's a really big deal. But Jesus, he just loves these ladies so much. You can see in verse 9, it says, as they were running, suddenly Jesus met them. (laughs) Oh my goodness, could you imagine that moment? They just found out from a shining angel that Jesus is alive, and with adrenaline pumping through their veins, they're running to tell the disciples, then boom, here he is. Their best friend back from the grave. Everything he said was true. And the bitterness from Mary Magdala is melting back out of her heart again as she sees her Savior. And he says, greetings. Which means, hello, or in today's language, what's up? What's up, ladies? (laughs) It's good to see you. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. This is so typical Jesus. See, a couple weeks ago, if you guys remember, I talked about the difference between knowing things about God and experiencing God in such a way that you're changed forever. And it was, it was out of Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. We pray that you would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. In other words, that you would experience the love of God that trumps everything you knew about him. And this is Mary in this moment. She's been given information from an angel about Jesus. And she's running with this information, and it's not good enough for Jesus. He's like, I got to hug him. I got to let him see me. I have to let them experience me. Because there's a vast difference between knowing things about God and experiencing God. And Mary, in this moment, went from having a message to being the message. She was commissioned to give a report. And she could have shown up with this incredible story, right? She could have gone to the disciples and said, Guys, there was an earthquake and an angel, and he's risen. I heard from the angel that he's alive. That would have been a pretty incredible story. But when she met Jesus while she's running back to the disciples, all she could say when she got there was, I've seen the Lord. That was the first message from the first apostle to the apostles, the first messenger to the messengers. All she could say was, I've seen the Lord. You gotta see him. He's alive. And she didn't just have information about him. She encountered him. She had the very substance and virtue of the resurrected Jesus on her. (laughs) 
And it's just so important, you guys. It's so important that we go from knowing things about God to knowing God. Upper room Frisco, we need to be marked with something more than just knowing all sorts of facts about God. We have to say, I've seen him. I've felt his affection. I don't, it's not that I just know that he loves me. I feel his affection. And you walk around like a weirdo in this world because you feel his affection. Like the apostles, when they, when they entered, the, I think it's in Acts 17, they, they go into a town and the, the whole town is shaking at the presence of the apostles and the, the religious leaders go together and they say, oh no, the people who have turned the world upside down have come here. And when they see the disciples they, and, and the confidence that they act in and they say, even though they're untrained and uneducated, we know they've been with him. Because look at the confidence. Look at them shining. That's us. Uneducated. Untrained. People who have encountered the resurrected Lord. Walking around with confidence. Shining like Stephen in the face of stones flying at us. We're not setting up monuments. We're walking with Jesus. I want to do something tonight. See, Jesus has met every single one of us in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a huge mess, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of sin, in the midst of doubt. Jesus has encountered us. And I want us to remember it tonight. I want us to remember when he encountered us and what it was like when he encountered us. Can you put that slide up for us? And I want us to take a few minutes just to be with the Lord. We came to encounter God, right? Can I have the worship team come back up? <laughs>